Hello and welcome to season four of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling more confident with me, your host, Paul Armstrong, creator and curator of TVD Conference. The theme this season is the real future of work. What's really going on with the world of work under the hood? What's changing? What's not being said? We're checking assumptions, checking in on ourselves and also the future. I spoke with an amazing array of people from Dan Pink to Harvard University professors, TikTok superstars, data specialists and generational experts, all live on Twitter spaces. What follows is a recording of that space, so it's more conference call than podcast booth. Sponsors are incredibly important to me, and I am proud to say Ecology are back, and they planted a tree for every live listener we had. We're over 15,000 trees in the TBD forest now, and you can start planting your own over at ecology.com. That's spelled E-C-O-L-O-G-I dot com. Workplace by Meta also came on board this season. Their familiar features help everyone work together in new ways and whatever you bring to work to help you be you, Workplace celebrates it. To make your place of work a great place to work, visit workplace.com forward slash human. Check it out. It's very, very cool indeed. Make sure you never miss a moment of Mouthwash by signing up for the newsletter over at mouthwashshow.com. And you can also get a text alert over at mouthwash.norby.live. Very handy for busy people. Check out all those links in the description too. As with all good podcasts, please share it on a network you trust and leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Please enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to season four of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling more confident with me, your host, Paul Armstrong, creator and curator of TBD Conference. The conference attendees say is like Ted without the BS. We're flipping it up this season. We're live Tuesday through Thursday. Don't worry, you get the same amount of mouthwash just spread over the middle of the week. It's a reflection of the times and changing world of work, which is good because that's the theme for this season of mouthwash, the real future of work. This season, we're exploring what's working, what's not. We're checking our assumptions, checking in on ourselves and also the future. I want to know what's really going on under the surface, where it's all going and how we're going to get there. I have an amazing cohort of people joining me this season from multiple best-selling authors like Dan Pink to brand new startups who are creating new models for the metaverse. I'm also discussing the future uh, with experts from behavioral psychologists to TikTok superstars. You can check out the full lineup and previous episodes of Mouthwash over at mouthwashshow.com. I'm also incredibly proud to say that we are sponsored again this season by the folks over at Workplace by Meta. Whatever you bring to the work to help you be you, Workplace celebrates it. Their familiar features help everyone work together in new ways to make your place of work a great place to work. Just visit workplace.com forward slash human. Check it out. It's very cool indeed. Um, Ecology are also back. They plant a tree for every live listener we get, uh, whether it's replays or live in the space. Uh, they go into the TBD forest. Uh, so far, we're at 15,000 trees, uh, so we're doing pretty well. And if you're looking to reduce your or your business's footprint, head over to ecology.com and start planting your forest. And they spell it E-C-O-L-O-G-I dot com. Um, now's a great time to share the space. Just click the blue, uh, round blue button in the bottom right hand side of the screen and tell the world you found something good. Everyone you get into the space means another tree in the world. I think you'll agree. No bad thing. Um, if you want to ask a question, just DM me or use the mouthwash show hashtag and we'll pick it up from there. Um, but without further ado, let's get on to tonight's guest. Joining me today from Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts is the USA's uh, Henry Lee Professor of Economics for Harvard University, Professor Claudia Golden, economic historian and labour economist at heart. Professor Golden uh, focuses on the female labour force, the gender gap in earnings, income equality, technological change, education and immigration. She is no slacker. Director of the National Bureau of Economic Research's Development and Economy American Economy Programme between 1989 to 2017. She is a co-director of the NBER's Gender in the Economy Study Group 2. 
She's also won the R.R. Hawkins Award for the most outstanding scholarly work in all disciplines of the arts and sciences. She is author of multiple books, including the recently published Career and Family, Women's Century-Long Journey Towards Equity. Incredibly grateful for her time. Um, welcome to Mouthwash, Professor Golden. What did I miss out of your bio? Uh, I am pleased to be here, um, that I train dogs. Oh, and is that Pika in the in your uh, picture? Yeah, that's Pika. Pika, sorry, say it right. I, I always go British <laughs> when I'm speaking to an American. Oh, damn it. Okay. Um, okay, I always ask everyone, what's the first thing you thought of when you woke up today? Uh, that's an interesting that um, that I was taking Pika swimming. Oh, very nice. Very nice. That's nice. Um, I don't have any pets. I'm not allowed, but I, I, I'm getting into the dogs. I don't know what it is. It's been the pandemic. I was never interested and now I see them everywhere. I'm just, I don't know. Maybe I'll get one later. Um, <laughs> this season's all about the future of work. What's your current situation when it comes to work? Are you back at an office? Have you always been remote back to the campus, I guess, or, or co-working? That, that's a good question. So universities came back. I mean, we have uh, our clientele that we really do much better with when we see them and we can teach them in person. And so we brought people back. And so we're back and the staff is, you know, back most of the time. So un universities have been up and running. Yeah, it's been the same here. It's sort of a stop start, you know, foot on the gas, off the gas and that sort of thing. But um, definitely seems to be back. There are a few sort of, you know, changes which are still sort of around. But um, there's no more testing in the corridors and that sort of thing. It seems to be a little bit more open here as well. Um, when you talk, when you think professionally or personally speaking, what's been your biggest learning over the last two or three years? So the biggest learning for me is that the book that I was working on that I published and that was published in October of uh, 2021 oh, that you talked about, A Career and Family, that the biggest thing that happened was in March of 2020, I was writing the book. I thought that I was sort of almost done. And then the pandemic hit. And then I realized that everything that I was working on in that book, everything, all the stories that I was telling about the most recent periods were being magnified by the pandemic. And that made me uh, overjoyed that something that I was working on was important for the period that we had gone through and was even more important for the period that we were going through. It certainly hasn't helped and that sort of stuff. During the early years of the pandemic, oh God, it's tragic, I have to say that, um, I was reading um, headlines like how the pandemic is breaking women, um, the economy could lose a generation of working mothers. Um, where, where are we at the moment? Give me, give me an idea. I know it's different around the world, but generally speaking, has anything sort of bounced back or are we sort of better in some areas and not others? Has the, pand has the pandemic affected um, the labor force with women when it comes to, you know, generally speaking? We can go into specifics a bit later. So, so particularly for um, women with children, mothers, and those who take care of their parents and their husband's parents and others, for the caretakers, it was extremely hard. And it was hard because... The pandemic, let's face it, was a multiple whammy. It was a, an, an, an immense shock to everyone. There was like you had to be in a cave not to have been impacted. 
but it was an even larger impact for individuals who were taking care of children who were in school because schools were closed. And it was an even larger effect for individuals who were taking care of older people because nursing homes, at least in the U.S., became toxic places. And so it added to the, the work. I don't want to use the word burdens because taking care of children and one's parents are not really burdens. They're also joys. Mm. But it meant that those 24 hours in the day had to be spread thinner for certain things. It meant that children did not get the education that they should have gotten. But in addition, getting to your question, uh, at the start, it seemed as if uh, the labor force was going to be hammered in the U.S., that labor force participation rates would plummet, just like the headlines you just read. Mm -hmm. But that did not happen. The stresses, the strains, the anxieties that women felt were in many ways because they stayed in the labor force, not because they left. Oh, that's interesting. So that's almost like the opposite, isn't it? They leaned in rather than going, no, 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 I'm going to you know, go back and do these things. That's quite good. I heard some people over here really leaned into sort of helping their partners. Other people said, no, 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 your job's more important or you earn more money, so we should focus on that. So I think it was a, an interesting sort of divvying up. Um, I read in the New York Times piece that you wrote, I think it was in 2017, that the gap is larger among more educated people, but it varies obviously according to occupation, but often in big ways. Um, the gap is far larger in business, financial and legal careers than in science and technology jobs. And that surprised me. Why, why is that? Is it competition? Is it underfunding? Are we just, are we seeing that continue now? Yeah, it, it's very, very much about what I call the greediness of jobs. So if a job is such that if you work many, many more hours or if you work particular hours, if you work evenings, weekends, vacations, you get a considerable amount more, even on an hourly basis. Those are jobs for which the amount that you earn in some sense per hour rises with the number of hours or the particular hours. And those are the jobs that you mentioned, the ones in business and finance. But in certain occupations, that is not the case. And the reason is that uh, individuals are just better substitutes for each other, even though these are very, very high income and professional jobs. So that is one of the main reasons why. So if you have a couple that have exactly the same education and they have children, these children are going to require that one of the parents, even if that parent is a full-time worker, that that parent, one of the parents at least, be on call at home. And that parent, if that parent has to be on call at home, that parent cannot take a job that requires going to Tokyo every other weekend, for example, or every other week, or going to Zurich on Tuesdays. And so therefore, the couple has to decide which one of us takes the greedy job and which one of us takes the flexible jobs. They could both take the flexible job, but they would be a lot poorer if they did. And so what happens is that cultural, social norms have meant that 
disproportionately, not all the time, but disproportionately, women will take the more flexible but professional job and men will take the more remunerative and greedy job. And mm. that accounts for a lot of the difference and a lot of the differences that you mentioned by type of occupation or type of sector. I want to I want to stay up high meta before we go sort of deeper into maybe what, how we can sort of bring it closer together or well eliminate it let's see honest we don't want to bring it closer together we want to eliminate it. Um the gender pay gap it's not just unfair right now for a lot of people it compounds over decades so the effects go into women's retirement social security and pensions right when they need it most or a lot need it uh, most. I think I read that women end up with 70% of what men do. Um should businesses be sort of thinking about that to redress the balance now? Like how should women sort of invest differently in order to counter that? Is there something they can be doing now with that knowledge, if that makes sense? Well, what's interesting is that you said that they wind up with 70% less. What they actually earn over time is probably less than that for many of them. So winding up with 70% may not look that bad relative to what they have earned. But in fact, what should be the case is that there should be sharing between couples. And uh, in many states in the U.S., um, that house, if the couple gets divorced or if one of them dies, uh, is uh, goes to the wife or is shared equally. So I'm not certain what it is that, quote, companies should do. Many of these differences are individual differences, or they're, uh, are, or they're because of the rules of uh, nations concerning their social security systems. Can you um, tell me about the roots of the modern day gap? Um, you're, you're incredibly uh, intelligent about all of the history and that. I assume it's gender roles, stereotypes, but really I need educating on the roots of it. I know I've only got sort of 50 minutes today, but what are the, what are the main causes? <laughs> well, I, I just went through that um, even if two individuals are educated the same, and are equal in every single way possible, and they have children that they're going to have to figure out how to take care of these kids. And so therefore we see that there are three possible problems. One is the price of taking care of children. The second one is the price of flexibility in jobs, which I was calling the, um, the greediness of jobs. And the third one is the notion that women disproportionately will um, take the more flexible and less remunerative job. So those are really the three underlying factors behind all of this. I guess to that point, I've been I've, I've been racking my brains trying to sort of ask you a question you've probably never been asked in your career before. And so I was um, wondering where sort of trying. Exactly. I'm trying. I'm trying. I was thinking um, about accountability. That's the biggest sort of area where I sort of went. I don't understand why people aren't being held more to account in the UK. For example, we have for the I think the last what two, three years, we've had this accountability element where basically you have to be transparent if you're over 500 um uh, people strong. In the US, that's different. They don't have to do that. Um, yeah, but so... uh, what I'm saying is that you can be as accountable as you want, mm. and you're not going to find any problem. 
where are you going to find the problem? You're going to find, for example, I'll give you a, a very good example. Uh, you have a couple. They're both lawyers. They both have very good law degrees. They're both excellent lawyers. One is working for a very high-powered law firm. That's the man. Everyone in his law firm earns the same, let's just say. She, on the other hand, is, is going to be on call at home. She works for a small boutique law firm. Everyone in her law firm earns the same. They're partners. They share equally. Where is the accountability problem? I guess for me, it's when I'm seeing it from businesses' side, i.e. they're letting it happen. Um, there was a Twitter who, bot, for who example. Would be, who would be letting it happen here? You think the Fifth Avenue law firm should go to her and say, you know what? You're so special. We're going to make you a special partner. And they do that. And she's going to get paid less mm. because she wants a more flexible time, flexible position. So what should be held accountable in some senses, all of the labor market in creating these, what I call greedy jobs. Mm. It's interesting because I think, yes, there is this, this, the element of, you know, people creating jobs and sort of perk packages and that. Uh, there's For me, there needs to be a reality when it comes to people writing those job descriptions and agreeing those, you know, salary brackets to go, oh, we, this is the amount that X gets paid, so we can't pay more than that. Or, you know, is it based on completely skills? I've seen The Buffer. Um, do you know that company? The Buffer? No. Uh, so Buffer is a company that basically had radical transparency when it came to their um, salaries. And essentially they listed them on the web for everyone to see. But obviously they asked their employees if they weren't comfortable, we will take them down. We'll never put them up, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that led to, you know, more equality in them, uh, their hiring practices, but also existing people, um, yeah. you know, it, it closed so, that so gap. To, so let, let me uh, kindly interrupt and say that I I agree entirely with you that there are uh, individuals, firms, methods out there that we could say should be held accountable. But even if I wiped out all real discrimination, and there is real discrimination, even mm. if I wiped out uh, all differences within establishments and not equal pay for equal work, even if I got rid of all sexual harassment, and we should do that, we would still have these differences for exactly the reason I just gave you. Interesting. Um, did you... You want to find a culprit. Mm. You're Sherlock Holmes. There's a dead body. <laughs> You want to find out who killed that person. And I'm telling you, no one killed the person. Right. So where, how do we fix it? I just gave you three ways. So we've got okay. those, we've got those ways, but it's okay. So they're, they're big and lofty. Let's, let's talk about practicalities. No, these aren't big and lofty. Are, are you telling me that subsidized childcare is big and lofty? Well, I think I'm, I'm not obviously advocating for businesses uh, to not be accountable and that sort of thing. But when it comes to businesses are capitalist in that sort of area and they have to figure out what they are spending the money on and what well, packages. Well, they want. Why do you think everything is on the shoulders of businesses? The biggest culprit mm. is the individual who says to his wife, you take care of the kids. That's that's not a big business. That's a small business, but it's the biggest business in the room. Mm. 
So I guess for people without kids who are obviously getting, you know, the, well, the pay Well, for people gap. without kids, we don't see as large a gap. Oh, that's interesting. So what, again, sort of what, there is the childcare and there's those issues and that sort of stuff. But we, we've been in this scenario for what, 20, 30, 40 years? How many years would you say? Since Adam and Eve, what do you mean 20, 30, 40 years? Okay, so, but with like businesses <laughs> and childcare and that. Give, give me an idea of um, some of the things the that people Adam make. and Eve had children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm not getting into the Christian Christian faith on this one. Um, the, uh, sorry, so let's go back to that point. What was the uh, element that businesses can pay when it comes to childcare? Is anything like internationally working for people that, to do with the gender pay gap? It's, okay, someone I, always I, says I have the a Nordics. question for you, mm-hmm. okay? Why do you keep on thinking that it's business that's the issue? Why is it business? People work for businesses. Yeah. What, what What is businesses' responsibility in terms of this? Well, businesses decide what they're going to pay people and whether they give that person the job or not. Obviously, they want the best people, but it's an incredibly difficult labor market, certainly now and has been, you know, decades before. I would have thought it would have been not necessarily, you know, the perfect world biases are everywhere and that sort of thing. But um, for, for me, it, the, the, the yes, you can agree to not have a job and everyone's job is to negotiate differently. But if a job sort of said, oh, what's your situation? Oh, in that case, then we're going to give you this package. Would that be better for you? They d- I don't hear that a lot. No, but but if, if one of the issues, so I agree with you that some of this is an issue having to do with business. And that would be what I'm talking about with regard to the greediness of jobs. And I could get into mm. that. But I, I said something about, um, about the care of children and the high price of, of taking care of kids for the obvious reason that it's really the price of labor. And you said something about business being responsible, and I was confused about that. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously you're, you know, you've gone through everything like this. From an outsider perspective, I go, companies just need to be more acceptable of people's different living scenarios and offer them different bundles. But you're saying, no, it's the jobs themselves are sort of like the greedy job titles and, and packages. Yeah, I'm, I I don't think that, <laughs> that it's going to uh, be very good if people go uh, into the labor market and say, uh, by the way, you know, uh, you should hire me equal to someone else, but I require these, these, these other uh, aspects. In fact, what you seem to be saying is that people should go into the job market and get the same amount for equal work. That, that's, that's how we began this, and that is the case. But the pro- problem that I'm pointing out is that some work is very greedy, and individuals, couples, might decide that they can't sort of afford to have both of them take the less remunerative, flexible job. So one takes the greedy job and one takes the more uh, flexible job. It would be very good if firms figured out a way so that work is, is more flexible and has a lower cost of flexibility. And in many ways, the pandemic has offered us that opportunity. The future of work is work that has a 
lower price of flexibility that is less greedy. It's no longer the case that someone has to go to Tokyo to sign the M&A. It's no longer the case that someone has to come to Harvard to give a seminar. That means that the individuals who were being priced out of that, the individuals with the care responsibilities, can now do those jobs. That is a really, really big change and one that is going to have big impact on the future of work. Which is a, which is a good thing, right? So, what, what do you think? It's a very gonna, good thing. Mm, do you think we're going to start seeing, um, you know, the gap? Because obviously there are various measures of people who measure it and that sort of thing. Do you think we're going to see um, the gap, you know, really come close together quickly, or you think it's going to be decades away, or we're we're always going to have um, disparity? Okay, so I, I like to go one step at a time. <laughs> I don't want to leap from what I just said to nirvana right fair enough fair enough so one step at a time would be that certain jobs in the sectors that you were just pointing to such as in finance and banking uh that those jobs will be more open to individuals not necessarily women to individuals for whom greedy jobs were impossible you couldn't take a job for that uh, had the requirement that you be in Tokyo every Tuesday. Well, you no longer have to be in Tokyo every Tuesday. So individuals who couldn't do that before, and they are disproportionately women with children or individuals with other care responsibilities, those individuals will be able to take those jobs. So let's go one step at a time. Mm, I think and therefore, for those jobs, the gap will narrow considerably. I like that. I definitely think it's uh, a good a good step. Um, are you familiar with the Twitter bot that sort of went viral a few months ago when it was International Women's Day? It's at Pay Gap App. Uh, no. No. So it was created by a copywriter. <laughs> That's all right. Created by a copywriter called Francesca Lawson. Um, and she created it for International Women's Day. Uh, it was the, the sole purpose was essentially to show the pay gap of companies who tweeted about International Women's Day. Um, so if a company used the hashtag um, IWD, uh, the bot would create a graphic showing the pay disparity of the company who just tweeted. It didn't go well for many, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, but it did get me thinking to what extent do you think technology can help the gender pay gap? You mentioned a few mm-hmm. things there about um, remote working, Zoom calls, and that sort of stuff. Um, how do we get technology to help make that gap go together faster? Wonderful. The way is to use technology to make workers better substitutes for each other. It's really very simple. Let's say that I'm at work and I get a call at 11 o'clock on Thursday that my kid. Uh, has to be picked up at school. But there's a very important meeting. I'm in a consulting position. Very important meeting at 11 o'clock on Thursday. And I can't be at it. Well, if I don't show up, if someone doesn't show up to represent what I did, well, then I'm going to be cut out of things in the future. Ah, increased pay gap then. No, because technology is going to allow someone to seamlessly take my place. 
So to the extent that we have good substitutes for ourselves, that doesn't mean that we've commodified ourselves, but to the extent that we have pretty good substitutes, it means that the greediness of that job then begins to disappear. It's really interesting about greedy jobs. I think that's something that most people wouldn't sort of necessarily consider. Um, It's uh, sort of leading me to think about... um, you know, how do we rewrite job descriptions, but also job roles and responsibilities? Do do we have a, a, a need to do that? Or do you think it's much, much deeper than that and people need to be maybe taught at school differently? Or how would you go about, you know, fixing those greedy jobs? Well, the the biggest and most important fix would be to increase the range of substitutes. So as I just said, if, if you have a client and the client says, you're the only person on earth who can do this and I'm willing to pay a lot for you, well, then the job becomes very greedy. But if you can tell the client, you know what? I have a perfect substitute for myself and therefore you don't have to spend a gazillion on me. We have the two of us and we can sort of switch on and off. Well, that would be a very, very good thing to do. Um, I spoke with a few different female friends, um, including lesbians, transgender women, but they were mainly mm-hmm. heterosexual women for their feedback on this topic. Um, and something struck me about um, what they sort of experienced early on. Um, they were almost all groomed to be in gender specific roles by parents or um, you know teachers and that sort of stuff. Is that the choke point for change? Do you think we need to explode the myth there or or is that naive? Is it something sort of, you know, further on? I think that there's a very, very good uh, point that uh, I remember I said there were three things that we could change. One had to do with children. One had to do Mm -hmm. with the greediness of jobs. And the third one is the one you're getting to now, which has to do with uh, gender norms and traditions And they're passed on. They die one funeral at a time. And they're passed on. And they they had a role. And we can talk about the role. These these were not started by a group of individuals necessarily who wanted to be nasty or bad to a particular group of people. Mm. These many of these are rooted in Uh, norms and traditions that hold men accountable and responsible for their children and their wives. And therefore, they were norms that said that women should take care of their kids and should not work outside. And if you saw a woman working outside the home, you could point your finger at the husband and say, you are doing a very, very bad job. So that's where many of these norms are coming from although some of them are rooted in, you know, patriarchal societies in, in which women are virtual slaves. Yeah. But they're maintained by an older generation, the arbiters of these norms, who then point their finger and say, oh, you're a woman, you should stay at home and take care of the kids. The kids need you and you have a husband who could go out and work. And that's how they're maintained. So the younger generation often says, no, 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 things can be very equal. And then mm. they fall into this the same roles and habits that their parents did. 
And that's because, you know, sometimes long ago, these really did have functionality, but they don't have functionality anymore. I think it's interesting. Like you say, I'm looking for a killer, but there is no killer. Um, I've been thinking a lot this season um, about Locus's power and influence with the themes that have been coming up. I'm starting to form some thoughts, um, but I wondered what you thought of the role entertainment <laughs> companies like Disney and Marvel could have on the gender pay gap. Is it a question uh, for like lobbying, for visibility as much as legal changes? Yeah, so I, I would not say what they should do for the gender pay gap. Why, why, why are we focusing on that? There are many, many different gaps that are important. Mm. So let's just say, what can they do to encourage people to treat each other more equally and to sort of rid ourselves of these old norms and traditions? I think that that's better. That that's stepping, that, that I think is going many miles farther than just saying, oh, there's a gender pay gap and we should get rid of it. That almost seems trivial. So you wouldn't support, say, for example, Disney having a story around, um, you know, two sisters or something being separated and then going on different routes or something like that. And then no, one, no, no, you, you know. you're misunderstanding. I'm I'm saying I want more, not less. Oh, right. Sorry, I'm I did, sorry, that, completely misunderstood. That, yeah, that that saying that. Uh, so I wrote a book that was published in 1990 called Understanding the Gender Gap. That was not about pay. That was about labor force participation. It was about employment. It was about hours. It was about the whole schmear. It wasn't just about what people were getting paid. Tell me, tell me more about that. Yeah. So, so, so I thought that your point about Disney, which was a good one, is to make certain that young women know that they can do anything that they should, you know, uh, take the hard courses, um, think big about their futures, understand that that the only thing that's going to be standing in their way is their own abilities and their own imagination. That I like. Mm. I, de I definitely see looking at like how, you know, brand affinity and that sort of thing, the scores are just off the roof for Disney. And I just saw their subscribers are over 200 million. I can see them as a political, you know, and they're a political force, obviously, in certain states. But I can see them as a worldwide culture driver. They certainly have been in previous decades. And I agree with you that I think lots are changing behind the scenes and it's not just them. But I look at how many people look at those movies and I see the roles that women are still playing them. Yes, they're getting better, but not fast enough. It's an interesting sort of area where I think more could be done for sure. Um, when we've, we've talked a little bit there about younger generations and we talk about newer generations, alphas, betas coming into the world of work, are you seeing any new trends or do you have any predictions or where they'll push the gender um, equality or pay gap um, scenario as it pertains to work? So one of the wonderful things about being a historian is that I'm extremely good about predicting the past. I'm extremely <laughs> bad about <laughs> I do not predict the future. But do you have any thoughts on the future? Instead of, let's not call them predictions. Well, my thoughts about the future is what I said before, that, um, that when this pandemic hit a little bit more than two years ago, um, I thought that it was that we were going to fall into a recession that would make the Great Depression look like a walk in the park. And 
the fact that we have come out of it, um, of course, you know, we, we have various economic issues that we can, <laughs> we can talk about, such as price changes, which other people call inflation, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> the fact that we are coming out of it with a, a relatively healthy economy in the U.S. and in many other places, I think is a tribute to the fact that we do have technologies that have enabled us to take the work that we did in offices and other workplaces and, and bring it into some safer places for, for many. That's certainly not true for everyone. And it's not true for, you know, many people uh, who, um, who have had essential jobs. But I am, I am in some sense very um, optimistic about the future of, of work in a way that more than two years ago, I certainly was not. That's good. I like that. I like that. Um, from the, from the positive to the less positive, what's worrying you um, <laughs> at the moment that people aren't talking about more? In the U.S.? Or globally? Where should, where should or, we begin? <laughs> begin in the U.S. Go on. You're in the U.S. Begin there. Well, I'm, I'm worried about the fact that, that, uh, we have had price increases, and I think we know why we have price increases. But the American public is is annoyed. I will use the uh, <laughs> the commonly used word "pissed." Um, they're very very upset, and being upset, they're going to try to unseat the current um, uh, party in power, and that gets me very upset and very nervous. Mm. It certainly seems like a rough time um, for a lot out there. Um, we do. Most people in the UK may have an idea of what Roe v. Wade is, but a lot is right. sort of political upset um, over there. How are you uh, seeing that that's going to affect maybe what we've been talking about today? I don't think, I, you know, <laughs> it's, it's sort of... I'm asking you to go outside to of your purview, but... So I am, you know, I was brought up in a in a period before Roe, and I know what life before Roe was. Mm. Um, and for for not for me, but for many people, there were there were various difficulties. My hope is that as a nation, we will have states in which abortion is legal and doctors and others will not be, uh, that this will not be a criminal offense, and places which, for various reasons, because of the desires of people in those states, uh, they will um, be, uh, abortion will not be legal, and that individuals will be able to, um, to travel uh, that that's going to certainly have bad effects on on many many people. There's no question. Mm. I'm seeing a lot of businesses coming out in favour of helping people with costs, whether it's travel or medical expenses, right. which is again a sort of an indication that businesses do understand that yeah. um, you know there are specific times in life, but also yeah, but generally. Some of the things that people are not talking about is the mm. fact that we we are in a very different place. The um, Teen births are way down. Teen pregnancies are way down 
okay? It's, this mm-hmm. isn't because of, of abortions. Teen pregnancies are way, way, way down for the past, you know, two, three decades. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's sort of a, a good news. Um, uh, there there are, are, are many, many aspects of society which are not um, uh, those for which getting rid of Roe is going to cause, you know, enormous immediate pain. This isn't like in Romania when when overnight they got rid of abortion and you had a huge generation of children who were, uh, it's hard to say a child is unwanted, but they were certainly unplanned. Right. Yeah, it's definitely one that's, um, you know, like you say, going to affect a lot of people and um, disproportionately, you know, whether you're um, depending on your ethnicity and where you are, you know, that that's a given. And certainly the type of job that you have, you know, not everyone can afford to help people out with those medical bills. Obviously, if you're Uber or Google, I think those people that both both have. But again, it's kind of a little bit two faced when it comes to that, because they put money in Republicans pockets, but then, you know, uh, are fighting against them. I find the politics of the US fascinating. I lived over there for eight years, but I follow it still. It's um, I, I was very disappointed to see that come come to light, I must admit. Um, give me, well, actually, I know you're probably not a massive fan of the metaverse. Would I be correct in that? Yeah, I do not live in the metaverse. Oh, God, no. No, nobody does at the moment, God bless. <laughs> but um, I'm interviewing a company called Hundo Careers later in the season. They're helping young people build careers and new business models in the metaverse. Um, I was wondering, do you think the metaverse is going to bring anything specifically different than, say, like a Zoom technology would? I, I have no comment. I That's would, fine. I, I, I said you wouldn't, <laughs> but I was just checking. Um, love it. Okay, look, I'm going to um, move on to Desert Island Tweets, which is the part of Mouthwash, where usually the guest picks a tweet or two that's changed their mind or weigh in some thinking. Um, but actually, I've been very lucky. I never get to do this, actually, so I'm very I'm very pleased. I get to pick one um, because uh, Professor Claudia has given me that. So uh, I'm going to find it, and then I'm just going to put it up. So it's that's from... Uh, well, you see which one I pick. Who knows? Who knows? Right. Okay. Doke. So um, it's from um, Ai Weiwei, um, who is an artist, human rights and activist and that yes. sort of thing. And it's a great quote, I thought. Um, it says, I call on people to be obsessed citizens forever questioning and asking for accountability. That's the only chance we have today of a healthy and happy life, which sort of fits into a lot of A, what we've talked about and B, uh, where the sentiment um, was going with that. Um, but I picked it um because I thought it was also a powerful sort of statement when it does come down to human rights. While we have talked today about greedy jobs and there are obviously issues with childcare, I think one of the things for me is I think businesses need to take more accountability just in generally for the impact on people, whether it's mental health or impacts, you know, what they actually do from a job perspective. Um, I'd like to see them certainly do that. Um, I, I would too. Well, I mean, the, this conversation would go on for, for days if we, uh, if we wanted, but the problem with accountability for firms mm. is that if a firm is in a highly competitive industry, we have to get accountability for all of them, okay? Because mm. if you don't have accountability for all of them, then you have a couple of firms who are being faced with higher costs than others. And right. unless we tell consumers not to purchase the goods of the others because they're being made by you know, potentially child labor, slave labor, whatever, um, they will be, uh, the accountable firms will be priced out. Uh, 
This is not a simple problem. The mm. word accountability really sounds like it's doable. It is very difficult. Yes, I must admit, I was going to start out the question saying it's 2022. We're all incredibly smart people. We have the internet. We have everything. Why haven't we fixed this yet? It, but it, 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 when I wrote it, I was like, I have to ask it, but it's so trite that you can't. It is such a, a, a deep and it's ingrained, isn't it? Like we were talking about earlier with people's, uh, you know, expectations when they were growing up, they were sort of, they had things almost forced on them and then they took it forward and that sort of thing. Those are hard things to break because you, you know, you learn how, how you were brought up some people rebel against that when they've got their children and that sort of stuff but it's really interesting i think of everything that we now have impacting us that maybe previous generations didn't and i wonder why we haven't figured out sort of how to at least bring it much much closer together i i think it takes a certain amount of fortitude i find it always interesting when people say i want high quality child care i want child care workers to be paid a fair wage. And then they say, oops, childcare is too expensive. Mm. We speak on different sides of our mouth about the same issue. We have to have some moral judgments ourselves. We can't say that we don't want to pay for something if we then say we want it to be high quality and we want the individuals who produce it to receive a fair amount we then have to realize that we're going to have to give up something for it. There is no such thing as a free lunch. No, there definitely isn't. Not these days and certainly not in this country at the moment. <laughs> not these days. <laughs> well, it's actually, food never. banks are incredibly up in this country and those are sadly um, free food, but they're sadly needed. That's the trouble. Um, any final words of advice for listeners, Professor? Uh, remain optimistic. Oh, excellent. I love that. I'm up for that. Okie doke. And, and oh. kiss your dog every day. Ah, I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Love it. Okay. All right. That is a wrap for episode 15 of season four. My thanks to Professor Claudia Golden for her time and, and candor. You're very welcome. Thank you. And a subject that requires real change. I'm extremely interested uh, to see how where it goes and how businesses recreate it for the next decades of work. And I'll be looking at you, Claudia, for leadership in that way. As always, everything mouthwash, even the text alerts can be found over at mouthwashshow.com. And I'm a firm believer that you do not remember the days. We remember the moments. And I hope this has been one for you. I am Paul Armstrong. This is Mouthwash. Listen in again soon for more fresh chat that leaves you more confident. Thanks for listening to Mouthwash. Please share it in a network you trust and check out our sponsors. Season 4 of Mouthwash was sponsored by Workplace by Meta. The easy-to-use features at Workplace help people work together in new ways. To make your place of work a great place to work, visit workplace.com forward slash human. That's workplace.com forward slash human. Have a great day.